Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's going on, Trailblazers fans? Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. Uh, with the offseason kind of percolating up and, 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 well, not really coming to a boil, we want to take a look at what's been going on with the Trailblazers over the last couple of weeks, starting with draft night, heading into free agency, and with the upcoming summer league. As always, I'm Dan Morang, and joining me is Miss Trailblazers basketball herself, Tara Bowen Biggs. Tara, welcome. How you doing? Hey, Dan. Good. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of at that point now where it's things have been uh, mostly crickets since draft night. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of sitting around waiting for summer league and waiting for some kind of basketball to give me something to latch on to until, you know, the dog days of, of August and into September and training camp. So, yeah, yeah, not a whole lot the of going on. The basketball never here. stops. <laughs> hey, hey, we, we, yeah. had our, we had our MVP award show. You know, we, 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 did, we did get that. So, you know, our basketball season is getting a little bit longer. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a little quiet around here. Maybe a little too quiet for a little bit or for, uh, for a lot of people. Well, I think we should give people a little context and tell them when we're recording this because they more news may have happened after we record it. So basically, it's Monday night and we're on Hayward Watch right now. We have heard that Gordon Hayward has had his third meeting. He's gonna he met with three teams: Boston, Miami, and then he finished in Utah. Uh, that meeting has apparently is closed. It quote unquote went well, just like all the other ones. Ricky Rubio flew in from Spain and now we wait. Yeah. You know, this is, this is always an awkward time for, uh, you know, more awkward, I'd say for the, the home franchise in this instance, I, I think Trailblazers fans can relate with, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge and his decision recently, um, for Utah, if, if Gordon Hayward opts to leave, this is more than just a wrench in their plans. Um, they've got a good team. Uh, I mean, Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. is is the second best overall defender probably in the league and easily the best big man defender, interior defender, I think we have in the league right now. Derek Favors is a nice piece. Rodney Hood was rounding into form. They made the trade for Ricky Rubio. But... I think people underrate how good Gordon Hayward is. I mean, Gordon Hayward's stat line, it, it matches up very favorably to, you know, prime era Brandon Roy, to kind of put hmm. that in perspective for a lot of people. Like, what Gordon Hayward is able to do. This is a six foot eight dude who can put the ball on the floor, get to the rim, knock down threes, get to the free throw line, play defense. I mean, because he's in Utah, a lot of people don't get to see how good he really is. And if he ends up leaving that team, that probably puts them at the bottom of the Northwest, Northwest division because of everything that's been going on in the Northwest. Oh my gosh. The Northwest is uh, on fire right now. I am so scared to see what's going to happen next year, especially if Hayward stays. I mean, he's definitely a hot commodity at this, this season. And, you know, I'm really glad that we went through the whole, uh, I learned a lot from the blazer, from the LaMarcus Aldridge saga. Like a lot of things I didn't really know about the nuances of free agency. I had to like quickly get up to speed when uh, we were waiting for LaMarcus to make his decision. And, 
I, you know, I think it's like three years in a row now, like the person who sort of held everything and that, you know, once he made his announcement, everything else started kind of started to fall into place. They all announced on 4th of July. So I'm thinking that tomorrow we may be hearing, we'll probably be hearing from Gordon Hayward. That's my guess is that he'll uh, tell us where he's going tomorrow. Yeah, it, 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 they basically said he's going to sleep on it tonight, Monday night, and announce tomorrow. And it, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Uh, with these big-name free agents, yeah, Steph has signed his contract. Katie's going to sign his deal. But there's still, I think at last look, there's over 100 free agents still out there. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of guys yeah. that are waiting for basically one or two guys to sign deals so everything else can fall into place and know what's happening. And we've already had some big deals happen. Um, we've got Paul Millsap. We've got... Again, Northwest Division, and keeping in the division, you've got the Paul George trade. Uh, I mean, you look around, not just the league, but the division, and the Hayward move is going to signify which way Utah's really headed for the next couple of years. And, I mean, man, the, the division itself is just so brutal right now. If you're a Portland fan, you're kind of hoping that one more all-star type player moves out of the, not, not just the conference, but the division, the division, yeah, no, it's like it's the Northwest Division. I mean, I, I don't know. I I haven't. I've just been kind of sitting here, uh, letting all of the changes kind of flow over me. I haven't really sat down and looked at like one team at a time. I just know that big name after big name after big name, uh, you know, have been have been moving into the conference. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that more later. But the thing that I really want to know, the thing that's really important to me, is when Gordon Hayward makes his announcement. Do you think he's going to do it on Twitter or Instagram, or Snapchat, or Players Tribune? It's, it's going to be the, the the global force push. It'll be all at once, probably on all social media platforms. And I think Gordon Hayward. I'm going to say he he's, he might even be on Facebook. Yeah, he's he, not really very cool, I don't think. I don't know, man. That hair is pretty spectacular. So <laughs> I don't know. It kind of has kind of has Facebook hair. But yeah. I love the I love the uh, the social media announcements. Do you have a favorite one? Um, you know the emoji wars was were pretty good. Um, Andre Iguodala has has done pretty well recently um, oh. with his use of social media. Was he the media. one who announced his own? Yeah, he announced his own through sources. <laughs> So, I mean, they're, the guys are getting creative. The, the, the guys that are really, really good on Twitter, um, I mean, any, uh, Joel Embiid, I can't wait for uh, um, one. I want him to be healthy so he can get the free agency period because I think that would be just absolutely fantastic. Um, but, I mean, there's so yeah. many guys. I mean, Rudy Gobert has been in kind of this, this emoji war with Hassan Whiteside of the Heat and uh, Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics. It, it's, it's, oh, is, Isaiah or... Hassan Whiteside had my very favorite social media announcement ever when he did the Snapchat that he was staying in Miami. Do you remember that from oh, yeah. last year? Yeah, I mean, it, oh, it's it's great. It was genius. I loved it. The, I loved how we like he had his cousin be like, "Where are you gonna go?" And he was like, "I'm gonna stay in Miami." And then he got up and walked out. <laughs> I was yeah, like, I mean, "Where are you going?" Like, that's I guess that's the end. You know, the the, 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 big, the they, they they didn't waste the big surprise on anybody. But I, I don't. I, I kind of want to go back. Just the social media in general the, during this free agency period. The irony of three guys in Gobert, Thomas, and Hassan Whiteside arguing about how many championships their current team does or doesn't have is kind of hilarious, considering none of these guys have won any of them or participated <laughs> in any of them. And I, I'm just like, 
why is Isaiah Thomas counting Bill Russell's championships right now? Why is Hassan Whiteside ca- counting Dwayne Wade and LeBron James titles right now? And why is Rudy Gobert? I- oh, poor Rudy Gobert. He doesn't oh. count. Well, I guess they're counting on banners instead of, uh, you know, whether or not the, the players there actually participated in them. I don't know, but it's for people who are not on social media, if there's any time to do it, it's during the free agency period because it gets a little, it, it's so entertaining to just watch these guys, you know, while the time away while we're waiting to see what happens with everybody. I don't know. Summer's a great time. I love the off season. I mean, obviously I love the regular season and, but the week, the regular season is all about like wins and losses, which is great. And it's exciting. And that's the whole reason that basketball, you know, the NBA exists is because of the regular season. But one of the things I love about the off season is it, it's more about the players. It's about the players getting a chance to, make the most of what they've accomplished really, you know, whether or not it's signing as free agents or it's just, you know, traveling the world because they're in a place where they can do that. I don't know. I love, I love the off season. I'm all about the pettiness. Like (laughs) last year we had the warriors and and the Cavs and the Cavs coming back from three, one and they had, you know, the the three, one cookies and the cupcakes and they Mm -hmm. had so much fun with that. Now you've got, you know, Draymond and KD basically coming back against it, which is, it's, it's kind of the, the, the weak pettiness. Like yeah. it's, it's the, it's the firing back for blowing one of the, the worst leads ever. And, right. But I still enjoy it. I mean, you got Kevin Durant with a cupcake hat and, and mm-hmm. instead of a, uh, uh, you know, whatever on top, he's got a championship ring on top of the cupcake. <laughs> I mean, the, the pettiness level required, to have someone on your team, his management team, his staff or whatever, or whether it was him and his idea to have that made. Like I aspire to that level of pettiness. Like that, that to me is just, just, mwah. I mean, you, you have to dig yeah. down deep to get to that level. And that's really what, to me, what the off season is about is enjoying the, the fruits of your labor or, <laughs> you know, sucking it up in defeat. And then there's, I hate to break it to you, Dan, they're all friends. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm sure all these they're guys petty, are petty, but they're also all friends. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of why it makes it makes it okay and not uncomfortable to watch, you know? Because sometimes when people get involved in that, it can be like, whoa. But these guys all go way back. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of these guys are all friends. There's there's definitely some some undertones of of hatred among some of them for for sure. Um, but the other part of the off season for me is is the the hope that is instilled in fans and franchises mm-hmm. alike. And so much of it, so much of it is this God awful, terrible, false hope. <laughs> and it's, it's really fun to like, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing guys that are Knicks fans that this is going to be our year. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no buddy. No, it's not Lakers fans. But- we're going to land Paul George, Russell Westbrook, going. and LeBron James next year. And I'm like, okay, guys, sure you are. All right. But when you, when you have two, when you have two teams, like the team from the Bay area and the Cavs last year, I mean, hope is really what keeps everybody afloat. And you know, you, you call it terrible hope. I find it inspiring. So this will be fun <laughs> to see who's going to win out on this one. But that brings that, that actually moves us into um, our, our uh, first topic to really get into um, draft night. Lots of hope there. I mean, it's pretty much <laughs> the, the apex of it for the young players who are coming 
coming into the league. So uh, do you want to give me some of your thoughts on how draft night went? How, especially, let's start with the Blazers. Well, I mean, uh, how did the... Let's, let's take a little overarching look at this kind of this, this hope and draft night and how teams are viewing, like you said, the, the Cavs and the Warriors, where the prevailing thought heading into the playoffs was this idea that it's going to be those two teams and maybe the Spurs and somebody else will come up and challenge them every now and then and, and maybe push it to six or seven games. But really, the, the idea was, among a lot of people, that, hey, you know, until 2020, 2021, 2022, the, the Warriors really aren't going to be, you know, a team that you can you can challenge. And basically, every GM in the league that had with any kind of standing was like, hold my beer. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you've got Paul George to the Thunder. You've got Chris Paul to the Rockets. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I guess we're going to just have super teams everywhere. Yeah. It's either going to be, you're going to either have a super team or you're not. And yeah, now, I mean, if the rumors hold true and somebody like Carmelo goes to Houston, you've got an Olympic roster, basically. I mean, people are like, Oh, yeah. that team's not going to play defense. Y- yeah, they will folks. That, that team will play pl- enough defense. Uh, team USA mellow is a different player than NBA mellow. And if that mellow goes to Houston, that's scary. I started seeing that cropping up today in some articles that I was reading. What does that mean? Uh, Team USA Mello is better, is different than uh, well, obviously it's different than Nick's, Nick's Mello. Nick's Mello is a whole other thing. But <laughs> what does that really mean? Team USA Mello is different than NBA Mello. I mean, when these guys all get together, they have to, and it kind of goes back to the 2008 Celtics, where KG Pierce and Ray Allen came together, and they've all kind of said it that when they're younger years, they weren't willing to put ego aside to, to make something happen. With Team USA, the ego has to be put aside. You're playing 18 to 25 minutes at most because there's so Uh many superstars on these teams, and the ego has to be put aside for the betterment of the team. Team USA, Milo, is the epitome of that guy. He he does whatever is necessary to to make it work. Plays the two, plays the three, plays the four. I mean, he could even realistically play some small ball five if they really had to or wanted to. And he has all the tools necessary. He's got the size, the athleticism, the, the skill to create mismatches all over the floor, to be a defensive presence. So, you know, with, with Houston the way they are, they've got two guys that can handle the ball, three guys that can create for others, and you've got defensive pieces around them in Ariza and Capella, who, and now P.J. Tucker, who could really fill out that roster. And if, he, and if those three guys put Ego aside for the betterment of the team, that's a scary, scary team. So you yeah, look at. I want to go in at, at Portland though, and they're in this position where they had three lottery picks. Okay. And the prevailing wisdom among national media, some local media, and the fans was that at least one of those picks was going to be packaged up with a player with a larger, or more expensive than perceived value contract. Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard. Those are the three guys constantly talked about. And then on draft night. Are you trying to diplomatically say salary dump? <laughs> it's a diplomatic salary dump. We have, <laughs> uh, we have quite the opposite. Now, going into the draft, I was pretty certain that Portland did not have the assets it needed to move up in the draft to get into the lottery top ten. Now, okay. things went much more differently, I think, than people <laughs> expected. One through eight, one through nine. 
And then, of course, you had the Jimmy Butler trade to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And Portland basically had the perfect storm to get to number 10 because Sacramento still had guys that they were looking at further back in the draft. So mm-hmm. Portland moves up. And when they, when they moved to number 10, I think a lot of people thought somebody like Malik Monk, which would mean that Portland, in my mind, if they're taking a guy like Malik Monk, was packaging up the number 27 pick with somebody with particularly Alan Crabb to go out. Oh, you mean 26? Excuse me, yeah, 26. To okay. Alan Crabb to go out. So basically Monk would be the, the replacement level player there. So when you heard that there was going to be, that they were trading up, you thought they were going to pick best available player, package them with the 26 pick and a player for somebody. Exactly. Okay. So that was... But you were surprised. <laughs> to say the least. I mean, you were you were there with us at the Spirit of 77 uh, for the Blazers Edge broadcast. And um, the reaction in the room was a lot of blank faces. There was no reaction. I mean, it was a little bit of a. Well, I think what, yeah, people thought like you, they (laughs) thought that, uh, you know, the trade was exciting because they thought that meant that like something big was, was going to happen. And then they were like, who? (laughs) I mean, people, you know, had definitely heard, you know, Zach Collins name if they followed the NCAA because he did have a really nice tournament, but I definitely was not what people are expecting. I was totally surprised that they were trading up because I remember on Blazers Edge night when we were all together, when a bunch of Blazers Edge people were together and we had just gotten that third pick and I was saying, you know, everybody was like, oh, they're going to they're going to package them and move up. They're going to package and move, move up. And I was the one going, they're never going to do that. I was going, give me an example. Tell me, give me a specific example of a time the team has done that. And I was giving people a really hard time for thinking that that was what was going to happen. That's exactly what happened. I was super wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not high on the Collins pick, but I'm not low on it either. Mm-hmm. I just thought that there was other ways to, to better the roster. And, and really, for Portland, there are two picks, Collins and Swanigan. They're both good players. Mm-hmm. Swanigan, is, is, I think, is incredible value at, at 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a productive player in the NBA for a, a fairly long time. I mean, seeing him having an 8- to 10-year career with the tool set that he has is just being a, a, a solid bench big. Um, for people that don't that don't know or, or aren't aware, there's one stat, one box score stat that almost always translates immediately to the NBA, and that's rebounding. Caleb Swanigan was the best defensive rebounder in all of college basketball. That's just yeah, like his like he was pretty much historic <laughs> in a lot of ways, as I recall. Like it had been since Tim Duncan that people had put up the combination of numbers that he had put up in between points and rebounds. Yes, and, and I mean he's got a nice shot. He he can he's got what I like to call a ballerina feet. He's got a really light feet. He's not going to blow you away with his athleticism. He's not going to um, be a defensive presence that's going to you know hedge on pick and rolls and cover stretch fours all over the place but he's going to be a solid player. And I think you know a bit more what you have with Caleb Swanigan, which is kind of crazy to say with a 26 pick versus a guy like Zach Collins. Now, Neil O'Shea has said that, you know, he went and saw him play against University of Portland with some scouts, and he basically saw a few plays where he played above and beyond, and he saw what he needed to see. 
Now You're talking about Collins. You're talking about right. Collins here. Yep. And so this kind of catches me off guard a little bit because I, I, I want to trust Olshay and his scouting prowess and his team because they've done very well in the past. But the, the criticism that I have of Collins is that he was a backup big playing in the West Coast Conference. And you're going to evaluate or use the talking point for evaluation of a guy like Zach Collins against University of Portland players. That's, that's a tough pill for me to swallow. I see where I can see how you would think that was maybe not the best talking point to use because your point that it was that he saw him play against University of Portland players, no offense, Terry Porter, was not like, you know, the, the best competition out there. But people who did watch him play in the NCAA t- a tournament and understand the conditions under which he was a backup, the reason why he was a backup and not only that but the attitude with which he took on the role of being a backup even though he was a really good five-star recruit i think all those things together um i think that says a lot about him there, there are definitely things to like about zach collins um his attitude is is one thing i think portland is if, if, if you're familiar with this podcast at all i've said that portland needs somebody with with a little bit of um tenacity <laughs> to say the least, they need they they need a jerk on the team, to to be blunt. Yeah, they mean they need somebody who's going to ruffle people's feathers. I think Nurkic brings that, and I think Collins has the the, the opportunity to to be that kind of guy as well. Uh, well, I want to ask you something. So we we drafted two bigs. What's up with that? Like last year at this time, we were all freaking out because we had a log jam in the front court, and now we've just taken two bigs. What's up with that? What do you think? What do you think that means? What do you think that means about the direction that this team, the roster is going? You have to look at a guy like Noah Vonley, who is coming up on his contract. And if Portland doesn't want to pay him, in which the salary cap space they find themselves in, they need another young athletic big to fill his spot. So that's the kind of the natural place to go with. And this is, and this time it's at power forward, where in the past it it had been at center. I mean, Portland had kind of gone through this process where, Robin Lopez was a great value deal, but when he got too expensive, he was gone. And the Blazers uh-huh. made a draft day trade for Mason Plumley. When uh-huh. he was going to get too expensive, they traded him for another guy on a rookie deal. And this is this is this is what you have to do in the NBA. You you have to yeah. keep young guys on your roster to keep costs down, or you find yourself in Portland's position where you're paying young guys a lot of money when you could have adjusted value for those guys for a lot less cost. Well, in my mind, I thought we were similarly. I thought that they were coming in to possibly replace Noah, who, like you said, is on the last year of his contract and Ed Davis, who was just about up as well. I think he might have two years left on his contract, but I'm getting kind of confused in some of the coverage I've seen about Collins because a lot of people have talked about him as a power forward. And I thought he was a center. Sounds like he plays both. What do you think that he might be playing this year? And actually, do you even think these guys are going to get playing time this year? Um, Swanigan, I can honestly see getting playing time off the bench pretty quickly. Um, again, I know that sounds a little bit strange, the 26th pick, but I think y- you know what he is, and he's going to give you X, Y, and Z every night. Collins has the reach of a center, but the body of a power forward. He's only 225, 230 pounds. He's going to have to put on a little bit of weight um, because he's not – an Anthony Davis type, 
or a Carl Anthony Towns type who's crazy athletic and long, who just with their length, or, or Rudy Gobert, just with their length alone can really bother you um, with mobility. Now, Collins isn't lead-footed by any means. He's, he's, a, he's a fairly athletic guy, but he's not in that hyper-athlete category of those kind of guys. So he's kind of that in-between, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think for Portland fans and, and, the, and the team in general, um, seeing what Collins can bring uh, on the offensive end is going to be one of the biggest questions. He's shown a little bit of an ability in his workouts to knock down shots away from the rim. I think that will be huge for him. If he can stretch the floor more so than a Vonley and still give enough defense on the perimeter, I think you could see him moving into that, into that slot fairly quickly. But I also think you won't see a ton of Collins and Nurkic at the same time. However, that could change. Mm-hmm. Collins kind of finds so, himself in, 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 a, in a weird spot. I don't think he's a true power forward. I don't think he's a true center. I think he's just a big. And that, that can go both ways as far as good or bad. Um, if he can give you enough of what you need at whatever position he's playing currently, then it's fine. But he if he's too much of a deficit in an area that you really need, and this has been Portland's problem, is that they have siloed players. They have too many guys that are one way, or they do X, Y, and Z, and they can't give you these other things. Now, if Collins can give you those other things and give you positional flexibility, then this pick becomes a home run. If not, it becomes a pick that we are kind of like, eh, Portland might have reached at this point. Well, we, I mean, we have at least, we have several players in the front court at least who play at least four and five. I mean, you know, Vonley plays small ball center and he plays power forward. Aminu plays three and four and sometimes even five if he needs to. Nurkic is really the only one who plays like just center. Uh, Myers can play both when he gets in there. So, I mean, I don't know. It seems to me like we have, I, don't, I, I guess any more is somebody who can play two positions considered, a, you know, a, a narrow focus because now we have people like Carl Anthony Towns out there who can do absolutely everything. <laughs> so is drafting somebody who only plays four and five, is that considered like a pretty narrow focus? It's or, not, not um, necessarily the positional. It's what they can give you. Myers, okay. as, as much as I love him, he's a very, very large human being. Asking yeah. <laughs> him to cover somebody on the perimeter, if he is in there at the four, as hard as he tries, it's a difficult proposition. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, it just, it's just not something that we've seen work. Um, same for Nurkic. These are, these are two guys that are seven foot plus 270 pounds. I mean, these are huge, huge people. Um, and I think that's where Collins could kind of fit in there. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is that if Collins is supposed to be that guy that's a bit more athletic, a bit more flexible in the hips and, and can hedge and, and push on pick and rolls and cover a stretch four on the perimeter and drop back to the rim and, and play some center mm-hmm. at the same time, that's what I'm talking about when, when you're talking about the versatility aspect of that. Okay. Noah Vonley is athletic as he is, um, and he is, and he, he can cover out on the perimeter. What has he given Portland offensively outside of – catching the ball from a, a Nurkic uh, drop-off or a Dane drop-off and dunk or a put-back dunk. The guy that was supposed to be, you know, this stretch four, stretch five kind of player, knock down mid-range shots, step out and hit a corner three, that really hasn't materialized in his career so far. Um, and I think that there's, because of Vonley, and this isn't a shot at him, but I think that, that, that 
that's probably why there's some hesitation among Portland's fan base is that they've seen this kind of experiment before where you're looking at a guy that you're saying, okay, he projects well to be able to do these things, but we haven't seen him do these things at a high level or for an extended period of time. It'll be interesting to see uh, how Stotts manages the lineup, whether or not he, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not he plays our starters heavily, especially those front court, or if he does something like, you know, give, give the rookie some run. Like he surprised us with Vonley when Vonley was only in his second year and he suddenly started starting. You know, I wonder, uh, I guess it's going to kind of depend on what the rest of the Northwest division is made up of as, as well. Um, I just, to me, Stotts doesn't seem to be someone who plays a lot of the younger players more than just, you know, 10 minutes or something, if if at all. Like, we haven't seen Connaughton and uh, Lehman hardly at all, but I guess those were second rounders. I don't know. I'm just really curious to to see how, uh, see see what the uh, roster is going to look like. Um, but speaking of the roster, let's talk, let's move on. Um, unless you have anything else to say about the draft and move on to the free agency part of the Trailblazers uh, offseason. With the draft, and I, I know I, I get pegged as Debbie Downer and such. For Portland fans, I, I would say in general with both of these guys, be patient with them, <laughs> to say the least. Uh-huh. Like I said, I'm not high on it. I'm not I'm not blowing this pick out of the water either. I, I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around why Collins. And hopefully, you know, as, as I'm sure we're going to transition to, in the summer league, we, we can see more of why Olshay and his staff were so high on Collins. And... Summer leagues is it's kind of a strange place because it's not a place you typically see big men excel. It's more of a swingman wing type player exhibition. They just want to get up and mm-hmm. play. And if mm-hmm. Collins can show, particularly on the defensive side, um, what he can do there and then show the, the offensive ability to step out and hit a shot outside six feet, um, I think that'll give Portland fans a, a, a lot to look forward to heading into the season. Cool. Well, I can live with that. I mean, I guess my other question is, is like, you know, if you knew that the Blazers plan was to keep that number 10 pick, if you knew that there was no way they were going to be trading it, like in your other scenario that was in your head, who would you have taken instead? If they, well, I mean, they made the trade for the number 10 pick. And and I think this, this is probably something we should touch on real quick. Fairly or not, I think Zach Collins's value on his what he does over his next couple of years will be mirrored against what Sacramento got from that trade, and that's Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. If Jackson mm-hmm. and Giles both turn out to be above-average players for their draft position and Collins turns into an average prospect, this is going to be something that doesn't go over well. And, and again, fairly or not, this, this is going to be one of those picks that I think is going to be looked at like a Nolan Smith, Kenneth Fareed kind of deal. You could have had this, but you went this way. Right. So uh, for Collins' sake, and I'm not saying that he needs any more added pressure, but for Collins' sake, I hope he does well out of the gate because I think that'll do a lot for his confidence going forward. So you don't know anybody else who was on the board then that you would have taken above Collins given that the that your only choice oh, was that um, you have this 10 pick. This is, this is who's on the board. Malik Monk was the guy that I thought that that was going to be the guy. But would you, if you were, if he was going to stay on the roster? If, if Portland was keeping Crab, 
then it obviously uh-huh. would make no sense. But if Portland had, had found a deal for Crab and mm-hmm. they were drafting 10, Malik Monk would have been, to me, the, the perfect guy to kind of put in there. Um, you'd be mm-hmm. a little shallow at the three position, but the, mm-hmm. it's easy to see a guy where he's a legit sixth man coming off the bench with his scoring ability. I mean, he's been compared to guys, you know, like Jamal, Jamal Crawford who just come in and just get buckets. And I think Malik Ball yeah. is a guy who can come in and just get buckets in the NBA. And Does he also age been... backwards like, like <laughs> Jamal Crawford? <laughs> yes. He, 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 he is this generation's <laughs> Benjamin Button. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think a guy like Malik Monk, I don't think that's going to be necessarily a player that come back, comes back to bite Portland, but I think Malik Monk is a guy that, that could that is going to have a sustained career in this league as someone who can just get buckets. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, and there's always room for those guys in the league. Sure. Well, let's move on to offseason, if that's okay. So since draft night, the Trailblazers have been very, very quiet. It's pretty typical of the Trailblazers to not let any rumors sneak out. So we don't know if they're just, you know, not doing anything or if they're on the phone constantly trying to make something happen. Does it surprise you that the Blazers haven't done anything yet in free agency? No, because they can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they don't. The only thing that they have to, to really offer anybody is the taxpayer MLE. And the players that are going to take that are going to wait for situations around the league to settle down. So once the Gordon Hayward domino falls, then that's going to happen. And if Portland is going to make a salary dump move, these other teams that are out there that are rumored to to be willing to take on salary, the Brooklyns, the Phoenixes, and Phillies kind of pull themselves out of that by signing Redick and a couple other guys. Um, They're going to wait and see what's out there because they're going to look for the best offer available. In Portland, if they're going to do a salary dump, what assets are they going to offer now? Are they? I mean, are they going to trade the guy that they just drafted? No, no, they're not going to do that. Um, so for Portland to move on from a guy like an Allen Crabb or an Evan Turner or a Myers Leonard, they're going to have to attach something of value. And if you're looking at value, that means you're going to have to package them up with either a Harkless or a Vonley if they want the expiring with the bird rights or um, Aminu. And what does that do to Portland's roster? Mm-hmm. That, money or not, that's that's a huge hit personnel-wise. So for Portland to make one of those deals, that's that's tough. And if you look at what Portland has to offer as far as picks, if I'm Portland right now, with the way this division this conference is going, I am not giving up next year's first-round pick to double yeah. salary. Because, I mean, as we've talked about, okay, OKC adds Paul George. Minnesota adds Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson. If Gordon Hayward stays in Utah, they brought in Ricky Rubio, re-signed Joe Ingles. They're, they're basically reloaded, and they could still make some moves um, with uh, Derek Favors. So you look at every other team in the division, they're all making moves. That's, 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 that's uh, four it, teams in front of you, possibly. It used to be at least we were in the Northwest Division and we could do pretty well against our division. And now we... <laughs> Now, just, oh, my gosh, it's gotten so scary in our division. So fast. Yeah, and I know, again, the the whole Debbie Downer thing, but Portland could find themselves at the bottom of this division. Denver adds Millsap. Yeah, there's still questions in Denver. Yeah, there's still questions in Minnesota. But if you look at the talent base, Minnesota's starting lineup, let's let's say that they magically land George Hill. I I don't think that's going to end up happening, but they could roll out a lineup of George Hill, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, Taj Gibson, Carl Anthony Towns. I don't care who or what is going on in Minnesota for the last couple of years. 
that's a damn good team. Denver was only a few games behind Portland. They just added Paul Millsap. If they figure out anything remotely close to resembling NBA-level defense to pair with that offense, that's a scary team. Utah was already a 50-plus win team. OKC was already a team that gave Portland nightmares. Yeah, Portland had a couple of good games against OKC. Fantastic. They just added one of the best two-way players in the entire NBA. I mean, these are, these are teams that are like Portland sitting there looking like, okay, you were looking down on some of these teams. Now you're eye-to-eye with them, and some may even pass you up. And it was, well, the Clippers will fall off. Well, I mean, will they? <laughs> I mean, from everything that's been talking about in, in Los Angeles, the, there was friction between Blake Griffin and Chris Paul beyond the friction between some of the players and Doc, and Doc Rivers. So even if Chris Paul's leaving and, and they fall off a little bit, do we really see them falling to a lottery team? The Clippers? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that I actually could. But wait, hold on a sec, Dan. You've just rattled off like twenty names that have already been that have uh, moved or yeah, moved uh, already since uh, uh, the season ended. I want to talk. I want to narrow in on a couple of them because we could just go on and on all night <laughs> talking about the Northwest Division and how scary it is and how the West has just gotten. I'll say this uh, right now: the Northwest Division is the is the toughest and best division in basketball. Just, just you know, check this out for a second. The Northwest Division has these potential all-stars. CJ, Damian, Nurkic. That's from Portland. Denver, Jokic. Thank you for starting off with Portland, by the way. Absolutely. Denver, you've got Jokic and Millsap, and you've got burgeoning players in Gary Harris and uh, uh, Jamal Murray. Uh, and uh, let's, you know, the other pieces they have there. They're, they're definitely not done in free agency. Minnesota has Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, and Taj. Yeah, don't forget my buddy Taj. Well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just naming guys that are potential all-stars. These are just, these oh, okay. are just potential all-stars. You could fill out the Western Conference all-star team with this division. Just with the Northwest division. <laughs> OKC, I didn't even get to the MVP yet. OKC mm-hmm. has got Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Utah has Rudy Gobert, and if they keep Gordon Hayward and Ricky Rubio, I mean, good God, you've got 15 guys. That okay, can I gotta talk you down here, division. Dan. I gotta talk you off. I, I gotta, we gotta, we gotta bring it down because it's it's quite distressing thinking <laughs> thinking that. So I have some specific basketball questions I want to ask you, so we can all start breathing regularly and not get so scared. <laughs> what's going on um i want to talk about whether or not you were uh shocked by paul george going to okc did you have any idea did nobody you see saw that coming, coming at no, all nobody saw that coming there, there was a reason why everybody's reaction was just what like, i mean what do you think that's gonna look like well it, it's a move for the thunder to where if westbrook bolts and paul george bolts they basically fall off the face of the earth and they reload. Yeah. I well, mean, and they did that on purpose. Like yeah. they're not, they're not it, hamstring to anything. They're exactly. just like, we'll give it a go. We'll see how it works. It, exactly. I and, love that. And you have to, you have to appreciate Presti for that. You know, uh, Hey, let's, let's see what happens. And if it, if it works and we can talk to these guys in the stand, we've got two absolute cornerstones to build on and we'll figure everything else out later. Uh, I love that, especially when it's somebody else's team. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're just all in and you just go for it and you know see what happens and then if everybody leaves then you just start over and everybody could see it all see it all coming yeah and you know, uh, I, I beat Olshay up for it because I didn't think that, that the offer was truly on the table but you know we've got somebody that, that has confirmed for us that the Blazers basically offered all three lottery pick or all three draft picks and anyone outside the big three in Portland that's Dame CJ Nurk to the Pacers for Paul George and if that is absolutely true, which, you know, we believe it is, um, hats off to Olshay for throwing his hat in the ring. I, mean, uh-huh. yeah, I honestly didn't think that I figured it was more of a Danny Ainge type PR move. Like, oh, no, they just didn't want what we had to offer. Well, it appears that that is the case, that that the uh, Pacers valued Oladipo and Savonis, which are two good players. And, yes, Oladipo's contract is atrocious, um, but they valued what they got from those for certain over what they could have gotten with 15, 20, 26, and Alan Grab, Maurice, Hart, Maurice Harkless, Al Farouk Amini, whoever else they wanted mm-hmm. um, off Portland's roster. So from that aspect of it, Portland, while it's been quiet, they have been trying to do something. So, mm-hmm. for, for, again, you know, I, I Not sitting on their hands. Exactly. I, I blast Ole Schaefer for, for quite a bit with the, the contracts that were handed out last year. But he's been phenomenal in the draft, and he's trying to make moves here to add to this team. So, you know, good on him for that, and I, and I hope that that's the kind of trend that continues, not 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 the failure, but the attempt. So, uh, I want to. There's another big move that happened. I want to ask you about. Um, it's Chris Paul to Houston. So we touched on kind of like. Um, you know, that, yeah, Houston's going to have this and, you know, really potentially incredible team. They even have defense now, which is really scary. But what I want to know more about and dive into is the two guard lineup, because obviously Chris Paul together with James Harden, they're both, I mean, the whole thing last year was like, James Harden is now our point guard. Okay. Like, so now they have a point guard. Does James Harden completely go back to not being the point guard anymore? No, I don't think that happens. So with your, um, you know, what you've seen over the last several years of teams trying to do two, you know, two guards, it seems like there's kind of a spectrum. Like there was a few years ago, what Phoenix tried. They had a couple different uh, combinations that they tried to make as a, as a duo guard. They had Dragic, Dragic and Bledsoe. Isaiah Thomas was in the mix. Brandon Knight and Bledsoe, they tried to get make it work. So there's that in Phoenix. And then you have what Damon CJ um, are doing here in Portland. And then you have the whatever um, Harden and uh, Chris Paul are going to put together. Can you walk me through how a good two-guard lineup works and what we might be able to expect, you know, let's, you know, let's focus on the Blazers since we're a Blazer podcast, but, you know, use the other ones as, you know, to compare. Well, we'll use the, the, the failure to kind of set the, the where everything kind of goes here in Phoenix. And with Drogic, Bledsoe, and Isaiah Thomas, you have three guys that absolutely have to have their balls in, the hand, in their hands at all times. Um, while capable shooters, IT was not a phenomenal and still really isn't a phenomenal catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's solid, but he's not out of this world. Um, Eric Bledsoe is a driving, slashing, creating point guard who wants to get his head down and go to the rim, much like uh, a Westbrook or in-prime Rondo. And Drogic is a guy who is in more in the mold of a Steve Nash who likes to probe, get in, get out, um, move the defense around. 
none of those guys complement each other. And size is also an issue. It obviously at five foot nine, Bledsoe at you know six one, uh, Drogic was the only one that really had enough size to play the two. And he, again, he's not a, a phenomenal uh, catch and shoot type player either. In Portland, you've got two guys that are great catch and shoot shooters in Dame and CJ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can create off the bounce. Dame is phenomenal at getting to the rim. CJ has improved in that area. CJ is also a guy that thrives off the ball. He's phenomenal creating space for himself. He's got good vision in enabling to set up plays for others. That's not his primary drive, though. Um, for the last couple of years, CJ has been in the top five, top three, I believe, in the NBA in distance covered overall and distance covered mm-hmm. per game. So marrying those two is a very, very simple thing because while this is something we've often discussed, while their games overlap in the, in as far as the things that they're able to do, they have enough variance between them to where they can both succeed and both handle the ball. And Portland really doesn't have a third ball handler, creator, shooter type player that has all those abilities on the floor at the same time that detracts from what those two do. Okay. And the same will be true in my mind for Houston. Now it's true. Both Chris Paul and James Harden have, worn through more basketballs than probably anybody else in NBA history. They dribble the air out of the ball. However, D'Antoni will probably do a lot like Stotts in that they will both start and they will both close. In between, Uh they will stagger, and one of them will be on the floor at all times. Um, Uh And when they are on the floor together, you're looking at two of the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA. You, you can't leave these guys. There, there's constant movement between them. They can both get to wherever they want to on the floor. The odd thing is, analytically, Chris Paul's best and favorite shot, the uh, pull-up jumper at the elbow, which he is probably second best at in the entire NBA behind C.J. McCollum, um, is not something that plays into Daryl Morey's uh, analytics-based basketball. Um, there was a game last year where I believe Houston took three mid-range shots in the entire game. Chris Paul will take more than that a night. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it also adds some variance to their attack. Um, if you saw what uh, San Antonio was able to do to Houston in the playoffs, particularly uh, what they were able to do to James Harden in the closing game, um, Harden was gassed. Right. He, was, he was completely gassed. And having somebody that can take the ownership of distribution, creating playmaking, for a guy who can do basically whatever he wants offensively, James Harden is probably, if not the best, the second best um, offensive player in this league behind Kevin Durant. So having somebody that can take the, the, the reins from him every now and then to give him, I mean, look at the efficiency that Kevin Durant spiked up with the Warriors because you've got uh-huh. Steph and Draymond setting him up. I mean, when you're looking at guys like this, and the same is true for Chris Paul. Chris Paul has had injuries pile up. If he doesn't all of a sudden have to be the guy that has to carry the load, and I, I mean, the past couple of years up until, you know, this this last year, the, the, the backup point guard was Austin Rivers. Right. And, and Rivers yeah. was been disappointed, to say the least. Now, this past year, he, he was more than capable down the stretch. Um, but, I mean, part of Chris Paul's breaking down is the amount of time he spends just running things 
and you throw on the fact that but, he's 32 years old, and but you pair these two guys together, and again, the overlap between their games is, is very tight, but they also do enough differently to set them apart and allow them to both function, and they're going to have spot-up shooters on the floor. Without Patrick Beverly, who's going to be their backup point guard? I think you're looking at each other as their backup point guard. They'll probably sign a third. So they're getting the same kind of thing that Stotts does exactly. with Damon CJ and like, stagger those minutes. They'll if probably... he absolutely, absolutely has to put in Shabazz. Yeah, exactly. But otherwise, it's just stagger those two. They'll they'll sign a third guard. Um, honestly, Tim Quarterman. Honestly, well, he, he's going to end up getting, I think, sent to Los Angeles as part of that deal. <laughs> Um, hmm. but, but another Tim would have been a phenomenal, um, guy to stick in there in my mind. Um, and, and Tim Frazier who got, uh, sent to Washington mm-hmm. on draft night. Um, but yeah. I, I think they'll end up trying to sign a guy like that, um, to be that okay. third guard that can come in. I mean, think of, of Portland's history. If, if they land a guy like a young Patty Mills or a young Tim Frazier, then they're going to hit the lottery in that aspect. Um, so wait, who will Houston will or, Houston. or Portland? Okay, because so I say we had a Tim Frazier and we barely played him, and we have a Shabazz Napier and we barely play him. Yeah, and I, and I think Portland has actually done really well in that aspect as far as getting those guys. It's retaining them and keeping them for the future. Um, you know, obviously, Tim Frazier and and Patty Mills being the, the most recent examples. And uh, I I've been high on Shabazz. His offense is it leaves a little bit desired, but I like his energy. I, I like his ability to get to the rim, uh, his defensive prowess, and the pressure that he puts on the ball. Um, I think those are all things that Portland can benefit from. Um, and, and Houston's at, and as far as their aspirations, I think they'll end up signing a guy, their, their, their cap team, their salary cap team and their management team. And with Daryl Morey is one of the best in basketball. So I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that they'll find a guy like that to come in and fill that role. So I think they'll be okay. And I think this whole idea that, that the, these two guys can't share the ball is a bit more overblown than it should be. How excited do you think Chris Paul is going to be to not have to worry about fouling James Harden anymore? Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably part of the selling point. Um, but for um, avid NBA watchers, you have the two worst floppers in the entire NBA on the same team handling the ball probably 98% of the time. That's that's going to be miserable for opposing defenses. I mean, it's going uh-huh. to, the amount of free throws that these two are going to generate is going to be staggering. It's, it's it's going to be a very – and, I mean, the, th- the other thing is, is that when these two are on the floor together, if you have somebody who's subpar defensively at one of those two positions, hey, Portland, um, it's going to be very, very difficult to hide somebody mm-hmm. because the, both those guys are going to attack and probe all night long. So uh-huh. it, it, for for teams that are looking at Houston and like uh, if their biggest problem is d- deciding how to, to divvy up the the shot opportunities and playmaking opportunities, but it's from two of the best playmakers and shot creators in the entire NBA, you're doing something right. And let me just let me just say this: Can teams stop helping the Rockets? Seriously, <laughs> for the past like no, but they, four years, they they just like hey Rockets here, let me go ahead and send you somebody else. Hey, here's somebody else. Hey, here's somebody else. It's, it's like I the think Bulls they're all in Jordan on it this Bell year because Warriors. I think they're all in on it this year. Yeah, because this year they might actually challenge them. And I think people are like, yeah, let's do this. Hey, you know what? How about somebody helps Portland? I mean, <laughs> Robin Lopez was a nice help. 
um, you know, little, little salary dump piece that they picked up off the pile. But I mean, like, how about somebody like really helps Portland? That'd be really cool. Like, like Indiana, you could have really helped Portland. You could have gave them a salary dump and Paul George. So that, that kind of coming back to that, the whole reason, like, while well, Oladipo and, and, and Sabonis are probably a, a decent haul considering, I, I have to believe that Pritchard still holds some ill will towards Portland, and that's why that deal probably didn't get the consideration others were probably thinking that it should have. I don't know. I'm I'm uh, fascinated by the amount of uh, trades that have happened, starting with the boogie trade, that are immediately followed by everybody screaming about how lopsided they are. Has this always been the case in the history of the NBA that there's yeah. all everybody always thinks that every trade is like super lopsided and one team is like really stupid to take it on? Yeah, I mean. Th- I, I often cited the Kevin or the Kevin Martin James Harden trade is one of the worst. Um, Portland was privy to one of those. Hey, uh, let's go ahead and move on back in the draft because we have Sebastian Telfair as our point guard. We don't need Chris <laughs> Paul. Um, that was that was a stupid trade. Um, there's but there are a lot of stupid trades in the NBA, and the boogie one is beat up. It was I mean it was bad, but for what Sacramento was trying to do. If you know that Boogie's going to leave, and you, it, it basically has turned into they got Buddy Heald, Justin Jackson, Harry Giles. They went incredibly young, and they don't have the, the Boogie bullseye and wondering what's no. going to happen next. So for, for them, uh, yeah, it was a massive hit as far as, huh, Vladdy's an idiot. They've done decently well in kind of pivoting away from that and turning that into something that's probably a lot more positive than people will give them credit for. Granted, they're still going to be a bad team, but I think they've done better than a lot of people anticipated. I never think that they are as lopsided as people think that they are. I always always think that that is the, the amount of of lopsidedness is, is overblown. I mean, because you just, a trade, it's so rare that you're going to get the same amount of talent coming in. as the same amount amount of talent coming out. I know that seems like the logical way to do it. There's different reasons for you, it though. That's but there, it's, it, yeah. And it's like, it's how much leverage do you have? It's not about how much talent do you have? It's how much leverage do you have with the team? And you know, how much does, does, does your team want something? And it's it's just, about, to me, it's like so rare that, it, especially with all of the CBA rules around it, to me, it seems really rare that you could actually make a trade where the talent is as balanced as the money is as balanced. That just seems really, really hard to do and very infrequent. And it seems like that just doesn't seem like ha- how it happens. And you I have think to understand one of the, the motivation. That, that's that's the, the key. Yeah. In that. That's what I mean by the leverage. Yeah. Like how motivated is somebody to make a trade and to whom? And like one, I think one of the biggest assets that uh, we no longer have as Portland is the guy in Orlando and, and our friend in Cleveland, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that guy in Orlando would just go and grab whatever he wanted from him. Basically basically that's why he's not there anymore. Yeah. It was a lot like, you know, the the weekend trip to the, to the convenience store during the summertime for Neil O'Shea. But we also had a lot of stuff built up with, we had a lot of relationship built up with Cleveland yeah, uh, with David Griffin. Yeah, and, and now that's gone. And, and and that's the thing is that 
a lot of these, <laughs> I, I think that's why you often hear so many people kind of bashing Danny Ainge because while he did, he has done some masterful work um, in, in trades in, in recent history. Um, he's a guy who is perceived and probably rightfully so as someone that has to win the trade. Uh-huh. And from a PR and a talent acquisition aspect. Um, so, and really with in Portland and Neil O'Shea, his uh, MO has never really been, I think, about that um, as far as the national media or national perception is concerned. Um, but again, we really haven't seen him execute a big deal. Um, I mm-hmm. think that would be the case, obviously, if you know CJ's name came up in a trade. Mm-hmm. Then it, I think that would be a thought experiment um, or a social experiment that would be really interesting to see how um, Neil O'Shea portrayed or pivoted or presented that uh, depending on what Portland received in return. So it's, 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 well, it's a really interesting idea of, of how these things always play out. The, the market, the fan base, the franchise, the position that they're in, where they're looking, where they're going, where they've been, and um, what each team is trying to derive out of you know, a said trade. Well, since last summer, he's, you know, the, he's been pretty consistent by saying, you know, this is the team that we're going to have. This is the team that we're, that we're rolling with. If something comes along, I'm listening. That's his little out, but you know, but he's been consistent about saying, and I've, I've believed that all along. And I don't think we got a full uh, opportunity last year to see who these, I mean, I'm talking about the guys that, that Neil, Neil Shea drafted, you know, uh, Damien and CJ, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Myers. Um, Alan Crabb, somebody he got real young, both Noah Vonley and Mo Harkless, both guys that he got very, very young. I mean, you know, he even drafted. I mean, I really believe that this was the team that he wanted to see. And, you know, I, I get, I don't know if that's like, I fell for the PR or whatever, but like, I never expected that they were going to do anything big. This Also, there's, there's the, um, there's the issue of how much flexibility they do or don't have. But I also just like Neil Olshay is a guy who likes his guys and he got those guys several years ago and he's been consistent with keeping that core together. And I, I, I think that the plan pretty much all along is to keep them together. I think last year when Alan Crabb signed that, um, that offer sheet that kind of that screwed up the plans, but he had said, I'm keeping Alan Crabb. And so he had to do that, like, because he said that's what he was going to do. So he had, like, I think it was all penciled in. He did not pencil in that much <laughs> to spend for Alan Crabb, but he'd said, that's the guy that I want to ride with. And so that's why he took him. Yeah. And I think that even to a fault, um, sticking by your guns can come back to bite you. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's certainly room for, uh, I, I said, I, I've beaten up guys like Crabbe and Turner for not necessarily their play, but their play commensurate to their contract, um, and what it means for Portland's future. There, there's certainly room for those guys to grow. Um, mm-hmm. same, same is true for Meyer. Same is true for Harkless. And I, and I honestly don't think the Harkless or Leonard deals are really that bad. When you, when you look around the NBA, 10 million a year for, for guys in their position. Yeah, Myers performed below that. I think Harkless performed above his contract, and I think really that's the way Portland needs to aim um, for their contract because 
Portland's free agent history, I mean, you look at what they've done in free agency, the, the, the best and brightest name that they've signed that turned into something in free agency that wasn't retained probably in their past 20-plus years uh, is Brian Grant. Huh. So, that goes away. That yeah, goes back a long yeah. way. That, that's, just, that, that's just Portland <laughs> and free agency. It's, it's not necessarily just yeah. a stigma, but I think that part of what will make or break this franchise as far as their pursuit for a championship and whether it's Olshay or somebody else is the ability to break that stigma. I mean, you're seeing uh-huh. free agents go to destinations that aren't big markets. It's no longer necessary to be a big market to go somewhere in today's NBA. So I think it's a lot about how you pivot and present yourself and part of that, a big part of that is winning, and a big part of that is campaigning and marketing yourself a, a certain way to be appealing to these guys. I think Dame and CJ, and especially Nurkic, really recently have done a good job putting pressure on management and presenting that to the fan base that they want to see changes, they want to see this team push and to be better. And I think those are all good things. And you know, kind of pivoting back to, to summer league, I think that's the first spot that really Portland can look to build on um, going into the season because you're not looking at anybody at making a massive jump. I know I've talked to guys like if you follow on basketball, Twitter, Snotty Drip and James Holis is a, is a buddy of mine. And we constantly talk about Portland and where they're at. And he is adamant that Dame is going to make one more big jump and be considered one of the top tier players. And I'm not talking like top 20 in the NBA, which Dame is already in or top 15 where he's mm-hmm. probably right on the cusp, but in that legit top five, top seven MVP candidate discussion. I mean, Dame at the beginning of last season, those first, probably the first month, he was mm-hmm. he oh. was absolutely yeah. incredible. He was, it, it, it's tough to say to carry that out for a season, but if he carried that out for a season, number one, I think Portland's in, obviously in much better position uh, than they were pre-All-Star break, but you're, he's not going to win the MVP, but he's, like if, if somebody casted a, a second or third place vote for him, you're not going to call him crazy. I mean, uh-huh. Dame or, or Westbrook and, and Harden seasons easily would have overshadowed him because of the triple doubles and the obscene, obscene numbers they were putting up. But what Dame was doing was phenomenal. And I think uh, if you're a Portland fan looking forward to next season, Summer League gives you two new guys, something different to build upon. Because I think right now there's a lot of stagnation within the team, within the roster. You're looking at a guy like Myers and you're hoping to God this is that, you know, the whole idea of one more year. Well, you know, this is probably his last shot here um, if he's not moved before the season or, or at the trade deadline, if he doesn't really kind of figure it out. Uh, Aminu, his deal is coming up. Ed Davis' deal is coming up. Vonley's deal is coming up. Um, so you, you can look to those guys maybe to look for those contract year pushes in a little bit of an upgrade in those areas. But you're not expecting significant growth from Dame or CJ. If you get it, great. But you're not looking at those guys as young potential guys anymore. They're, they're kind of like more of they are what they are. Harkless you may get a little bit more from. Um, a full season of Nurkic and a healthy, motivated Nurkic, you're probably going to get an uptick from. But from within the core, you're really not expecting a whole lot more so this idea that Portland is somehow a full season of Nurkic is going to flip around these god-awful starts to the past two years, that's a little bit tougher pill for me to swallow. But if you're looking for projection as far as, you know, where can Portland get better, 
um, you're not looking at the, at the off-season acquisitions as much as you're looking at, which I, fairly or not, is these guys like Collins and Swan again, and maybe these guys like Dane making one more push, CJ making one more push, um, Aminu returning a little bit better to form offensively from the three-point line, Harkless being more consistent, Myers being a contributor, Ed Davis being Crab healthy. shooting the ball. Crab shooting the ball, um, providing Without something. Hesitation. On, yeah, providing something on defense. But I think those are all things that, if you, yeah, if everything comes together, yeah, Portland could be a really good team. I can see that being a forty-eight to fifty win team. But that's the crazy thing, is we're talking about all these things coming together. Everything mm-hmm. has to hit right for this team to be a, approximately a fifty-win team. That's that's a crazy, I, crazy idea to, to kind of think about, and that's not me, me just being the, the pessimist or the downer or or, or the realist. That's that's just my god honest opinion. I, I look around this division and this conference, and it's going to be very, very, very difficult to get above forty five to forty eight wins. You you have to be a cut above to do this on a night in night out basis. I mean, Portland's going to be looking at Eastern Conference road trips and saying, "Thank God." <laughs> Well, I mean, isn't that what we love about sports, though, is when somebody overcomes and uh, overcomes all the odds and performs better than we thought, performs better, comes together as a group? You know, like we can't start off the year not having hope. So we talked a little bit earlier about hope. Kind of we were joking, but at the same time. I mean, that's what that's what the league is built on. <laughs> and sometimes you have a lot more um uh, a lot better chance knowing that you have somebody like Kevin Durant, you know, coming onto your team, you know, hope isn't such a stretch right now, but what we've, that's what we've got to go on right now. Yeah. And this is exactly, you know, we're going to hope that the guys, the, 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 the cursory things, that's, that's what you're yeah. hoping for. And it's, it's a, to me, it's a lot harder to hit on all of those as opposed to hitting big on a Paul George, hitting big on a Kevin Durant, hitting big on a Chris Paul. So, and I think that's, I think it's a well. Of course, it would be easier if we landed one of those guys, but we never take the easy route, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm not begrudging people for saying this team is going to be a 55 win team and they'll be third in the West or fourth in the West or whatever. And we've gotten through this entire. Podcast. Are people saying that right oh, now? Oh yeah, it's all over Twitter. That is a different Twitter than I've been looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, no, my, my, my Twitter feed, my Twitter feed is filled. You have with, a very op- we should a, trade we yes. should trade Twitter. I um, have the most optimistic feeds. followers I've ever seen, and, and hey, God bless them. You know, if if Portland does do those things, like I've always said, I will be there front row cheering every little bit of the way. Mm-hmm. Anybody who and you've you've sat next to me during a game can mm-hmm. can attest that my fandom is probably a little bit different than the the analyst version of Dan. Mm-hmm. I love it when Fan Dan comes out. I love it when Fan Dan comes out because <laughs> you just can't squash him. I, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. I thoroughly love this team. I love this franchise. I love the fans, and I love everything about Portland basketball except for the losing. Um, but my, my, when I separate the two, and it's not to, to be hot takey or, or to be about those things. It's just my Fan Dan gets to enjoy the game. Night in and night uh-huh. out. Analyst Dan is looking at this and saying, okay, here's where realistically I think they sit going forward, where they are right now and where they came from. And realistically, I think that if you're putting a ton of stock in this team, getting drastically better on 100 
little things within the microcosm of changes, that's a lot more of a stretch than hoping that Portland or any team in general gets better by bringing in something that you know is a proven talent or a proven, uh, not necessarily proven, but a potential laden young player, um, as you saw on the top of the draft. Um, so Portland kind of finds themselves in this it's in this strange position. Is in in um, I, I know I keep coming back to it. I think summer league is going to either brighten a lot of fans' eyes uh, for hope for this season, for, because, because if, if Collins really is everything that Neil O'Shea says he's going to be, which was like a combination of Hakeem Olajuwon, Dikembe Mutombo, <laughs> and Greg Oden, like in his peak, um, you know, Portland could be a force. I mean, okay, so. So I'm going to be at Summer League. So you tell me, what should I, what, what, what exactly am I looking for to see if Zach Collins is this combination of Hakeem Olajuwon and every other um, Hall of Fame center yeah, that mean, there was? Defensively, what am I watching for? Defensively, the, the, everybody, well, the one thing everybody wants to harp on is his blocks per 36 minutes in college. Okay, can he be a rim protector at the NBA level? The... So I watched a lot of his blocks on um, on Draft Express. His blocks are away from the basket. A lot of them. A lot of them are like guys who are shooting from in the perimeter. He's clo- so I don't know closing out and helping exactly. Yeah. So I don't know that he's so much of a like right in front of the rim as and much. And that's the thing is, is he going to be able to move his feet well enough to contest somebody on the perimeter at stretch four who's much more athletic than probably anybody he faced in his college days. Okay, so that's that's thing number one to watch for um, defensively. So protecting the rim, whether he actually is protecting actually at the rim. Yeah, at the rim or able in the let's say rim protection is one thing, perimeter defense is the other. And by perimeter defense, I don't just mean necessarily in isolation. How does he cover? And this this is summer league, so I don't know how much the defensive (laughs) scheme is going to be there. Um, Do they have him? Yeah. That's a good thing because that's a, that's a legitimate <laughs> issue for Collins. Collins fouls a ton. He fouled mm-hmm. an absolute ton in college. Um, so um, that's something to watch for. In summer league, they let you get a lo- away with a ton. So if you're racking up eight, nine, ten fouls in a summer league game, that's a, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> um, well, I, one of the things that they said about him, about Collins, is that before we move on to Swanigan, is that uh, he is very mobile and they expect that he should be able to guard the perimeter and, like you were saying earlier, be able to get back to the uh, to the rim. So is it is just simple as just watching how fast he's able to move back and forth how between well the perimeter reckon- and get back? It's, it's not necessarily how fast, it's how fluid and how well he and quickly he recognizes it. Um, okay, so not just like running around like crazy, just trying to cover space, yes. but actually covering economy like, of motion. Strategically. Exactly, economy of motion. Um, there was there was a story. Well, I love of, economy of motion. It's, it's a fantastic thing. It's, it's, and actually, it was. Um, I love that. Kevin Garnett um, was in camp with uh, rookie Carl Anthony Towns, and Kevin Garnett told him to knock off the college hustle. And that means uh-huh. 